what's happening. Welcome to season three of Apples and Snakes, the podcast. I'm your host, Yomi Shode, and we have a whole new set of poets and are still focusing on what it means to be black, British, and a poet or spoken word artist. If you are interested in getting a greater insight into the journeys of some of your faves, then join us and keep listening. Saying that, if you do like what you're hearing, remember to subscribe wherever you would usually listen to your podcasts and rate us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Welcome to the Apples and Snakes podcast with your host, Yomi Shode. I think the days of the South Bank is a good way to start this situation because a lot of people don't understand the behind the scenes that happens before we get into it, before people kind of see the poems on the stage or read it in a book or what have you. The behind the scenes of the process to that is is important. And I am joined by friend, poet, playwright, teacher, the list shall go on. What am I missing right now? What host, beautiful host, for those that have kind of been around or work alongside this lady will know that if you if she welcomes you into her home, there is a meal and you will be treated nice. I don't know whether that is like alluring in terms of the on terms of the poems that we're gonna hear and the editing of the work just to feed you full before you now hear the work and the thoughts. Either way, it is an entire process. I am joined by the one and only Tolu Agbalusi. Hey. T, how are you? That was a, that was an intro. It, uh, <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm good. This is because I, <laughs> I feel like there needs to be a process in this thought. And I, before I even get into anything, how were those days for you at the South Bank? late into the hours of us getting kicked out of the South Bank because we've been there for time and every, and the security would be like, we have a home to go to, so you lot now need to leave. What was those days like? What were those nights like for you at that time, if you remember? I'm glad you said if you remember because it feels like a thousand years mm. ago. But it was also just nice to finish work and then head to the South Bank and clear my head mm. with poetry or discombobulate my head with something that wasn't law, whichever yeah. way you want to look at it. But to be able to do that over a drink with friends and go back and forth over work, I remember I, you know, that was something I looked forward to. Yeah. And you've got to think you're doing a busy job, you're tired. So you've got to look forward to it if you're going to go and sit down in the South Bank. Yeah. Until late at night, until they kick your ass out, mm. um, and still be going home and talking the poetry on the road, and you know, and to be invigorated and excited about about the thing, it was yeah, those were the, beautiful moments. And I guess those moments there, I, I was about to reel off names of poets that we shared that time with, and this was a point where the majority of us wasn't really published, so to speak. Do you know what I mean? Like the, the I, w- I want to say there was less pressure, but do you do you miss those that point in time at all? Do you ever think about it? Just be like, you know, there was a lot more freeness then 
Or do you think like, actually, no, there was just as much pressure then as there, than there is now? I think it was different pressure. Because mm. we were younger too. So there was pressure. We were in a hurry, but we weren't in a hurry. Right now we're older. I, I don't know about you, but although I think it's the same with two children, you don't have as much time yeah. as you did. The pressures are different. So I can't do some of the things I did before. And, and there are times that I do miss some of that um, community, communal thing. I mean, I get it from other places in other ways. Mm. Um, for example, you, you were mentioning having people around to eat. So like mm. when I was doing home sessions, the first two seasons were in my house around a table with food mm. late after work. Sometimes people would be standing at my door when I got in from work because I was late so mm. that we could go in. I miss those moments of community because yes, there was pressure on me because I was teaching, but I was also learning from the people who were around my table. And yeah. it doesn't matter how I do home sessions now. I'm not in the same house. I don't have the same space. I have different time. Like it will never be the same. So in weird ways, those are just like, can't get it back, but beautiful moments that all led up to something. And I keep with me the spirit of community and the fact that it's always good to have people to nerd out over poetry with, so never to lose that. Um, for those who are not aware of who you are, how best would you describe the, you and the work you do? I think the work I do, whether it's writing poetry, writing plays, teaching, mm. storytelling, whether that's poetry or plays, um, doing work on films, any of that stuff. I feel it's about making people see things differently and see themselves perhaps yeah. differently. Um, because in my own poetry journey, there are a few people who I feel, I won't say they gave me permission, but mm. they made me aware that I was the one who was standing at the door of the permission I needed to enter certain places. And knowing that I'm being in positions where I probably feel sometimes that I haven't been seen means when I work with other people, I'm trying to make sure that they are seen and yeah. I'm looking for the thing that is not said. Um, and that materializes in different ways. Um, your poems. Can we talk about the themes of what you, has that changed over time? Do you know what I mean in terms of where, what, what, what? Because I was thinking about this the other day as well. I was thinking about, oh, wow, was my, what I was writing about in my earlier days as it changed me, I. And what did you, I had, what did you I had, come up You know, up the with? thing is, yeah, the thing is, if there's one thing that I think I don't write much about is love for the most part. I remember this one poem I've got, Only Me, yeah. And I don't know if I can do this poem now. I just don't know. It's a bit on the, oh. A bit on that naughty side of poem? life. Oh, yeah, it's, it's this one poem. <laughs> it's just, it's just that poem, and I was just like, "Raw, I don't even know if I can even write something like that now. I have no idea." But um, I yeah, and again, it's that kind of like, "Oh, can I?" write? Has it changed over time? Yes, and I, but the themes in terms of just like writing on identity, writing on blackness, writing on masculinity or belonging all these different things have kind of still stayed in its own way mm -hmm. 
and it's just fine-tuned itself in its own way as, as time just gone on and, and as I grow older. Go about yourself with the themes that you write to, like, have you, as it kind of stayed the same and evolved or have you found it has changed over time in terms of some of the stuff that you have encountered and observed and lived? I think it's stayed the same. I, I feel like I always wrote about experiences. Mm. And then the more I did that, the more I then realized what themes I was writing to, as opposed to some people do it the other way around. You know, I'm going to write blackness. I'm going to write women. I'm going to, my whole thing was my ass is black. So it's blackness, whether or not you see it, (laughs) you know, whether, whether or not I say it overtly. Um, And I think that has stayed, but like you say, with traveling, with work, all of those things now seep in so that the breadth of the experiences that I'm able to speak to are wider, but also the eye that I can, the perspective that I can stand from mm. is richer mm. now. But also with editing, I'm more aware of what I'm able to do, whereas before it may have been a pretty story, yeah. um, but it didn't have the control that I have now yeah um so that has changed and i think the ability to and there's this thing right like we all perform and we know when you when you're in a good performance Mm. sometimes you can get away with a bad poem Mm. (laughs) because you Mm. can make the words and make them words live you can make it carry so i've really had an issue with resonance in that sense because i can make the thing carry but i feel like these days I pay more attention, not just to the resonance and the performance, but to the resonance and the poem so that, because the, the other people's poems that capture me the most are the ones that I can't stop thinking about Yeah, because something in it, in me keeps going back to the work. So what has changed is the way I approach writing. Um, some folks might not be aware for a good chunk of that time, you, you was working, you worked, yeah. you worked in law. Yeah. Um, it's only a year. Oh. I quit. I quit. My last day of work was twenty eighth of February last year. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. But twenty. Yeah. But since that point, <laughs> you can like you're living this a different life for the most part. But prior to that, this you've kind of been. Prior to that, you've had to kind of work between these worlds, and there's something about being working working in a full time capacity. And, and dedicating part of that creative life to the writing and the performance and everything else. And it's busy. Because I remember the time where I, I was working at a full-time capacity, which meant whatever I had to do poetry-wise had to be before I started work. And when I finished work, which meant for a good chunk of that nine-to-five time, what I could be dedicating towards each poem, each book to read, everything else like that, I'm losing time. So I had to, the way time worked with me was very different. And I think we found a commonality in that sense of why those nights at the South Bank were so late because we were just working before. So we have all of this time to make up for. And in some points it was very strenuous. And and, and I'm not going to lie, I was quite envious of some of the people. I'm just like, ah, you're just waking up. All the time in the world. (laughs) You're just waking up and all you have to do is just read, take a walk in the park, decide when to write. When on my side, it was very strategic in the time that any time I had, I had to make up for 10 times worth because I know that I have no time to waste. 
Um, how do you mind speaking on? Because I know there might be some listeners who who struggle to find time because they work full time or they might work part time and trying to mix in both worlds. Do you mind from experience? Do you mind talking a bit on that in terms of how you found balance to some degree, and even now how you still try to find balance in in between those worlds? Balance is such a <laughs> it's such a big word in the sense that do you ever <laughs> do we really find balance in those things? You find a way through. And I can't remember who it was that said when you're juggling a, a, a bunch of things, you're gonna lose out on something yeah. at some point. And it's good to be aware of that so that you can make decisions about what you lose out on at different moments and that changes. Yeah. So there were parts, for example, when I was doing the play for the first time, um, and this is the multi-hander, whenever I did anything which was just me, it was just me in it. So I don't have to take time off and do anything like that. I think once I had to take a week off or something with Stratford Theatre Royale, but for the play, I needed four weeks rehearsal time. So I took holiday time from work. And for a lot of time, anytime I took holiday time from work, I was taking holiday time because I needed time off <laughs> to do something artsy. Um, People will come to me and say, that, oh, how was how was your time off? I said, I was working. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, so there was never any real time off. Yeah, so there's yeah. that. I was tired. But also there was a big, there was a huge momentum because I say I was tired, but I was also, I was also going long days, long nights constantly. You don't think about it. Yeah. Or you think about it, but you don't let yourself get bogged down in the thought of it. But also we like to separate things to speak about the law is there, the poetry is there. Yes, they're different, but one thing fed the other for me. Mm. The discipline I got from law definitely fed <laughs> how I was able to manage my projects as yeah. an artist. Um, both of them, I always say are bending language. Take that as you will. I'm bending language in law. I'm bending language as a poet. So finding the commonalities so that even when I was writing a statement, uh, a legal statement, the sensitivities I got from how do you persuade someone, how do you bring somebody in from poetry definitely served me with that. So there were all these crossovers. And then the crossovers that I didn't know were there, which other people saw where the mm. law seeped into stuff I was writing. And, and somebody says, why is there so much death there? And I'm like, where? And then they start to show me how many people have died in whatever it is that I have written. I was like, oh, I, I didn't quite mm. <laughs> realize that. But coming back to balance, in a way, because there is no escape sometimes from the nine to five, mm which is not quite a nine-to-five job that you're doing, when you get to have those moments of poetry, of plays or whatever, it feels like an escape, although it's also work. Yeah. And I'm like, bask in that. But also, it's about figuring out what kind of pressure is good pressure. Yeah. I want to write poems, but maybe I'm going to take my time with stuff. I, I take my time with things anyway, but maybe I'm not trying to put out a pamphlet right Mm. now when I'm not sure if the work is up to par, just focus instead on getting the work good on building my skills. So it's also about having realistic 
what do you call it? Targets. Targets, yeah. Which is the same as now. Because now having come out of law, having come out of that uh, full-time nine to five-ish thing, my head is still calibrated towards doing. Mm. But of course, if you're trying to live as an artist, some of your time, a lot of your time has to be about being, mm. not doing. Um, and so I'm still getting my head around that. You know, somebody says, oh, what did you do today? And I'm like, oh, I just went to the dark room. I did it. In my head, what I've said to you is today was not a working day. Mm. And because you're also used to how the world, quote unquote, works, because I haven't gone to the university to teach, it's also not a working day for you. Mm. It's like when people ask, yeah, but when are you working next? And I'm like, I'm working every day when I wake yeah, up and I go and sit at the day. table in my, yeah. <laughs> in my sitting room. So balance then comes from one, recalibrating my brain about what is work. Mm. And also trying to make sure, and here's the the other trap, trying to make sure that I am spending sufficient time on my own work, not just on everybody's, because freelancing means I'm editing, I'm mentoring, I'm teaching. Mm -hmm. Um, And all of that is great and it earns me money, but the risk is that then there is no brain matter left. For your own stuff. For my own stuff. And at least before, the brain matter was going to something slightly different. So you still had your creative juices, but now you spent all your creative on other people. Gosh. So where do you get the, the stuff for yourself <laughs> from? And it's just relearning how to work. Yeah. Um, poetry, your own writing. When and why did you start writing poetry? I, I always like to say... The way you entered that like a poet as well, like, it's like, I always <laughs> like to say. <laughs> yeah. um, oh I always like goodness. to say that I, I started writing poetry. I didn't know necessarily that that was what I was doing. Um, maybe I was around 14, 15, as an alternative to journaling. Mm. Because I felt if I wrote a journal, my mother could find it. Mm. And then I would just get in trouble, um, perhaps, for some of my thoughts. Mm. As I had got in trouble for other things that had been found. Mm. Um, Whereas if I'm writing a poem, there is plausible deniability. (laughs) 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 That's that law from early, boy. That's, That's it. I, I can, you know, it's somebody else's story. Yeah. Um, and so I wrote, like when I first moved here, I wrote stuff to try and figure out what was happening in my head, in my life. And then I like to write like little poetic things in people's cards who I, who I you know, who are good friends or whatever. Mm. And then as time went on, I started to, I guess, see poems that spoke to me and realize, okay, maybe this is, what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I remember I did French at A levels and you were, you could do your like personal coursework thing. Mm-hmm. And the teacher was crappy. Um, she told me I was going to fail oh, <laughs> the whole thing. And it didn't matter if I got help, I wouldn't get higher than a D. I got a C and I have a French law degree. So it seems on her. <laughs> but, <laughs> 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 but, 
for that coursework element, I chose to do like a Mrs. Uh, DDA, like a bunch of the Negritude poets. Yeah. I'm not even sure why I chose to do them, but to analyze their poems and do a thing about it, I got an A for that part of mm. the course. And I was like, ah, maybe there's something. Something. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Then I remember going through Haringey Library and I found a, a copy of um, Margaret Busby's Margaret Busby, yeah, yeah. Daughters of Africa, the first edition. I didn't know it was a thing. It was just, I was like, oh, this looks interesting. And I picked it up and I went home. Mm. And it's this book with a bunch of, you know, black women writers. And f- for the first time, I don't think I fully understood what was happening, but I just felt like I, I saw myself yeah. in literature. And I remember writing out some of the poems in journals that I still have. Mm. But all of that were the seeds of something bigger. Yeah. So that years later, I didn't even know the name of the book. I went back to Harangi and I was trying to get them to pull up my records from a decade before because I wanted to know what it was. I was yeah, like, it's a yeah, big yeah, white book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but gradually I started writing. And then when I went to the Caribbean and came back, and I wasn't working properly for about two years. And then I got back into poetry again as a way of dealing with my head mm-hmm. of what has happened when you've been working for so long. And then now all of a sudden you're, you're supposedly unemployable or whatever it is. Yeah. And then found that I enjoyed it. Yeah. And kept doing it. And then wanted to be better because I, I thought, no, this is good. And people are saying you should do X, you should do Y, but I don't actually think I'm ready for that. Mm. So how do I get myself ready? So I started to do workshops. And then at some point, Kitchen came along. And then at some point, Kalaloo. And then, you know, yeah. bit by bit, books, blah, 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 communities where you got to be enriched. So it was that process. Through that process, can you recall a significant point in your journey that you that stays with you and you're just like yeah i i always will that that you're proud of like a significant moment that you're proud of and you're just like yep this is what keeps me going you know what in a it feels like it's later down the line but if we're looking at significant moments that stay with me kalaloo is is it um because arriving got to oxford all these people everybody but me and a friend who's a good friend now nana were the only people who were from the uk everybody else on the poetry cohort flew in from the states um and it was vivi francis i didn't know her before then now she's one of my favorite poets and it was just being in community the whole week with a bunch of black poets and discussing things that we're all from different places, but there was an affinity that I couldn't explain. Yeah. And then there was just something in the air. Maybe it was the vibey pressure. <laughs> mm. uh, maybe, you know, everybody wrote differently, but you wanted to be you wanted your stuff to be good, you know? It was going to be critiqued in front of all of these people and by this woman who doesn't leave any prisoners and is quite good at what she does. Um, And I've never... That was was one of my most prolific writing weeks ever, has been. And the whole thing was just enriching. Um, But also, I remember the night before... 
the last day because everybody gets to read, right? Um, well, not everybody. People get selected to read. Mm. Um, and I, th- I think the selections, people who were selected had already been told. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I wasn't told, so I just figured I wasn't reading. reading. Yeah. And then the whole of the cohort, poetry, fiction, blah, 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 we all went to a, a restaurant. And that's the story in itself because the restaurant wasn't open to public yet. <laughs> this Caribbean restaurant. And we kind of, we, we were like, oh, come on. We walked all the way here. So yeah, we kind of knocked yeah, on the door and said, do you mind? Yeah, <laughs> do yeah, you have food? Open up. And they're like, yeah. we haven't actually, like, it, I'm not saying they weren't open to the public as in it was six o'clock and they, they were open at seven. Oh, they were I mean, they had not, no. they had never opened before. Wow. Their opening was on the Saturday, was in, in two days. Wow, wow. But we'd been walking past thinking it like it was a running restaurant. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. we said, hey, this is da 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 Um, and they said, yeah, come in. Wicked. We might not have, we don't have plates or whatever. So you'll be using like paper plates. That's or, so <laughs> you know? funny. And we're just going to give you what we have. And they ran down the street to get some like chases for the alcohol. We plugged in music. It was a brilliant night. And the food was good. Um, but after we did that and everybody was a little tipsy, we all went back mm. to our respective places. And then I started working on the poem that I had to work on because we still had a session in the morning. And yeah. I remember working on it and sending it back to Vivi. It must have been 12 or 1. Between 1 and 4 or 5 a.m., there were about three or four exchanges between yeah. us. I don't know what she was doing up either. But That's so <laughs> but funny. To say, yeah, but try it this way. Oh, Think well, about you were just going way. back and forth in that morning, like in the email. Yeah, so that. I, I yeah, would yeah. correct the poems and the, the one poem and send it. Because she looked at one of my poems, and that was when I was trying to say, um, uh, this poem, wake up. At that time, it was wake up. Yeah, and I said, "Well, this is a poem. There's a film. There's a da 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 da. I like it, but I'm trying to figure out if it works properly on a page, mm-hmm. um, and how to make sure that I don't have to write different versions of things for page and stage." And so she looked at it, and I remember she said something like, "You find your power, and then you just walk away from it, like you resile from no <laughs> from way. It. You don't know when you have a good line." <laughs> <laughs> So, so you have very interesting images in here, but then you temper it with like all this other stuff afterwards. So this is what you're going to and do. And you're reading that at like silly o'clock in the morning as well. I mean, no, that, that part of the conversation was a face-to-face oh, it was early. a face-to-face. Okay. Right. Okay, that cool, part was cool. a face-to-face. Yeah, yeah. So what I was doing at night was the working on it because yeah, she said yeah. all I needed to do, all she wanted me to do as an exercise was to take the last line of the poem. Frankly, mm. I'm running out of ways to fight for you. He said, that's the only line I want you to take. Now close the poem. Do not look at it. Go and write a new poem. If the stuff in the old poem is supposed to come back to you, it will naturally find its way back to you. If it doesn't come back, it doesn't belong. Mm. So I'm like, boy, this is like hard work. I kind of like some of them things Mm. (laughs) in that poem, but I went back. Let go of some. Let go of it. I went back and I kept working on it. And then... Sometime around five or six, she goes, okay, you're reading this morning. Wow. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so that that for me was a proud moment because I'm like, okay. There's there's a, um, and just in, in that line that Vivi said in terms of like, if it's going to come back to you or come back to you, there's almost uh-huh. like a spiritual sense and a spiritual connection to process and like you know almost like a case or 
you know what I mean? Like, it's such a thing to just be like, all right, keep this one line, write this new poem. If it's meant to be there, it will come to you. It's almost like Vivi has kind of worked. She's a po- she's, she is such that there is a spiritual-ish connection in just knowing wherever this is going to take me, it's going to take me. And how do you, do you, do you approach your work in a similar sense in terms of like, is there like a deeper connection, an energy source that you just lean into that things that writer's block doesn't even factor because you kind of believe in a different kind of set, in a different process that kind of just, in the same way that, that Vivi's explained it to you, you are kind of trying to go with. I don't know if I'm making any sense of that yeah. at all. And I laugh because I'm like, I wish writer's block didn't factor, but it does. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> it certainly does. And I think part of that is pressure mm. because you're like, oh, there's this thing coming and I want to submit for it. I haven't done it. And yeah. I'm not a write everyday person. Um, so what does that mean yeah. in this world where everything is in a hurry? Um, having said that, Again, we come back to training yourself how to work. Mm. I do believe that when, in the moments when I trust the process, when I write whatever is trying to get out, even if it is crap, then it's easier for me to find the good work. Because you can chisel good work out of the crap that first comes out. In fact, you need to let the crap come out. Of course for you to then be able to find the thing that you edit into, into the gold. It's only occasionally once or twice that I have done something where it was almost complete um, from the jump. And even then, it's a lie to say it came out of me just like that. A lot of those it came out of me poems have been playing in my head for years. Yeah, yeah. In different ways. And I've just been saying, no, that's not it. Uh, No, that's not it. And then when it came, I was like, oh, we now but landed But don't you get it. those moments, though, where it might just actually literally just be like, oh, it just gets you. And then you just have to pen it. I or do. Or you just have to take a note to, or note it down to just be like, oh, I, right, cool, I do. This is, there's but, an urgency here. Yeah. Yeah. But oftentimes, um, once you've taken the note, for me, once I've taken the note and I look at it, it doesn't feel as um, potent. Mm. As I felt it did in my head. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> so like all the urgency is out, right, is out now. I can now park you and leave you for like yeah. a week and I'll come back yeah. to you. But then there are phrases that keep coming back Yeah, over months, over years. And when I get that, yeah, I write yeah, them yeah. down, even if I don't know what else it's going to join with. And then at some point it becomes something. So I do believe if something keeps coming back to me that it's connected to something and I should follow it. Yeah. Um, um, when you were, a piece of advice that you would, you would have liked to have received when you were younger in relate, could be in relation to your writing, could be in relation to the arts. Is there any, yeah, what, would, what piece of advice do you think you would have liked to have like heard for the most part when you were younger? That I should trust, I mean, it's boring, but that I should trust myself more. 
that I should trust my instinct more mm. and not question it just because it probably leads me in a different path to what is more commonplace. That's, that's, you know what, you say, you say that and you know what's made me think there was a point where early doors, I remember definitely being, oh, you have to kind of learn all of these different things. You have to write in these specific forms to get into the magazines, it has to be like this or like this and blah, 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 blah. And to, to then learn those forms, to learn those styles, to not necessarily trust my own voice, so to speak, only to find that ain't no one looking when I'm submitting, it ain't going nowhere. I've spent <laughs> how much money in the submissions and ain't nothing worked out. To now trust in my voice in such a way that people are asking for me to submit poems and I'm just like, hold the phone. What, what, from what, what? And now the advice is, oh, just trust your voice. Just do what you're doing. And I'm just like, you lot are gaslighting my life. What is, <laughs> what, why didn't you tell me this back in it? You know, do you, did you find but that? But it's you, two levels of that though, right? Go for it. Yes, talk on it, man. In the sense of, yes, trust your voice. But I know like when I'm doing them, um, say sessions um, yeah. with younger poets um, sometimes trust your voice, but be honest with yourself. Mm. Don't come and tell me it's good because you decided it's good. I decided it's good is not a reason. Mm. If you've gone through the poem and you know why the full stop is where it is, you know what it means when you've chosen this perspective over that perspective. Yeah. You know why the metaphor or the image is there as opposed to somewhere else or not there at all, or why you've come, come you, you've put together, combined a bunch of disparate things. Mm. If you can give me answers to the choices you have made, if you understand that what you're doing in each line of your poem is making a choice, then trust your voice. Mm. But if you are still at the level of if it's good because I'm good and you haven't even done the work to make sure you're good, then I'm then, not buying that shit. Yeah, you're not buying, yeah, yeah. Um, I've, I have some more just thought points to go into, but I'll, I would absolutely hit myself upside the head if we didn't talk about long-form writing and transitions to plays. And you, you, and I think what most, you know, for the folks close to you wouldn't definitely know, but for the majority, like, when you research and you look into something, you really look into something. And I think this is where a lot of the, the you know, just generally you as a whole, but also it links into your work profession in the past as well. Like it requires a lot of detailed research. Like you don't want to be saying something for the sake of it. Yeah. You want to learn every aspect of it. And when it came down to playwriting, it's something that's journeyed with you as well, as much as the poems and writing into poetry has journeyed with you. What was the transition like to move from this specific, you know, stanzas and short form and to long form writing? Um, yeah, yeah. What was that like for you? I mean, I feel like I was always a storyteller poet, mm. if, that, if that makes sense, so that the idea of doing something longer was with me. I just wasn't sure if I wanted to or if I could. Mm. 
And then, I mean, you did towards the stage with apples yeah. way, way back in the day, right? Um, and I thought, ah, that might be a good way in to try it. Mm. Um, so I did words of stage. And when I did, I remember when I did the words of stage performance, um, the writing, the performance, I was like, okay, I could tell, I could, I could tell what I had started to tap into, not just in terms of that I can write something longer, yeah. that I can write something longer that can engage people for the length of time, even when it's coming out of my body and in my voice. Mm. But also write something that could take me somewhere else in terms of how your character can sometimes um, snap you out of yourself. So that I remember when I finished, I still remember that night, actually. Um, I had to go outside and chill for a second. <laughs> and I can't remember if it was you or if it was Nat. Both of you were there that night. Who, who was like, oh, just, just mm. you good? Mm. I will let you be for... But there was something in that. And I thought, okay, there's something powerful, powerful. in this. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I thought, well, how do I make this into something else? Then Stratford Theatre Royale were doing, or Theatre Royale Stratford, I always get it all mixed up. Um, they were doing um, something called Home Theatre, mm-hmm. which Kat Francois had done yeah, 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 yeah. Um, when they first did it. And it looked interesting. But the idea is people in the borough apply to have plays in their homes. So you mm. get hospitals, you get mansions, you get flats, you get rooftops, um, all kinds of homes. And on the same night at the same time across London, 30 plays happen. Mm. And I thought, let me, I had to audition um, <laughs> as yeah. a writer-performer. Um, I auditioned, I got it. It felt daunting because there were, I think, only maybe four writer-performers. Yeah. Everybody else were actors, actor-writers or actors who were testing out their writing chops. And you got given details of the family you were going to work with at the beginning of the week. Gosh. And you had to come up with the play because the performance was on the Friday. So it was intense. And I didn't meet my family till Wednesday. Some of us were, were like that because there were just issues you couldn't meet. So I had yeah. to meet them. I had to interview them. I had to find out what kind of audience it was going to be because it had to be appropriate. Um, speak to some of their friends, do some, again, research so that I could build this story. And then in between time, we had directors from Brazil, directors from South Africa, directors from the UK who were running stuff every day so that you could, you know, work whatever your body was given to you and play with the text. Mm-hmm. It was one of the, it was, it was a huge growing experience for me and the performance itself. They loved it. The, the mother thought I was trying to announce to her because something I put in there that <laughs> I was pregnant, but it was just part of the, <laughs> it was just part of the show. So I, I after she got excited, I was like, no, she ain't yeah, pregnant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think you were going to go there, but, but just knowing that, okay, this is possible. Yeah. Um, and these are people I don't, I don't know, you know, who are this excited about. And then from then it was like, okay, try and write a multi-hander because mm. all of those things are you. Um, the first one was you and almost autobiographical. The second one was not autobiographical yeah. at all, but it was still a one-hander yeah. and I can manage myself, especially when I have good directors around me. So the third, for the, the third one, I thought, yeah, try, 
try four people. Yeah, <laughs> see, yeah, yeah, yeah. see what happens. And the story was in my head, but you were you were part of the beginning of that, right? So yeah, and that was quite the leap as well to go from like a solo situation into like a multi, like kind of ensemble type thing. You know, it's not easy at yeah. all. So you kind of threw yourself in the deep end straight yeah. away. I think it's, that's always a good thing, though, throwing yourself in the deep end. I feel like uh, over, you say over that, the course of my... I remember for all the grays in my damn head about throwing myself in the deep end. You I got a few there. <laughs> um, what, is there anything that you're working on right now? No. Mm. Uh, I'm working on I'm working on being present mm. um, with regards to writing. So there are a few plays, there are a few poems, but not any determined project. That's the word. If is, anything, yeah. I'm I'm also working on like a black and white photography series, which oh. incorporates poetry. Some somehow I'm actually doing a presentation in my darkroom tonight uh, on the beginning of the project. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah. <laughs> the way you say it as well. <laughs> Look, I signed up so that I can go and see other people present. Yeah. I did not realize the link I was pressing meant I was going it's to be one of the people who were <laughs> And then I got the email to say, you should be ready with da da da. I thought, oh boy. Okay. Um, poem. Do you have a poem to share? Right, I'll do things I can't say to. Mm. How do you ask to be crushed, to hold the weight of another on your chest till you can only breathe long and deep? How do you explain that your body must be forced to expel all its air, to let go, that you are too accustomed to leaning on solid things that break without warning, that you loved a man once and only knew this as truth the day your body leaned so fully into his chest? You could have been weightless that you chase that feeling, the depth of that serenity, sometimes in a hot bath, where the heat holds on until you surrender, sometimes under the weight of a fat man who doesn't love you, but has enough heft to force your body to let go. Hmm. Oh, um, last, last thing before we shoot. Anything that you are listening to or reading right now? A Shared World mm -hmm. by Vivi Francis. It's mm -hmm. a new poetry mm -hmm. collection. Oh, magic. Oh, that Vivi. I look forward to meeting Vivi one day, man. I've heard so yes. much about Vivi via you. That just sounds like absolutely eternal and beautiful. You know what I mean? Oh, that, that for me, brilliant, brilliant piece of work and mm -hmm. then something else I'm looking forward to which is not out but I'm looking forward to Avon Jordan's new collection which oh. is coming out in a couple of months I think oh yeah. I wasn't aware of that um, what are you listening to reading? what am I listening to I'm listening to a lot of podcasts around um, screenwriting mm. at the moment I'm trying did you to listen to that one I mentioned no, this is in my list. I've not started the okay. whole process of this now. So I'm now starting this whole, like, not saying I'm not trying to get into it anytime soon, but I just need to just dip out of this world of mannerism for a bit and see what that is like. 
and just like look into these different worlds of what can cause more gray hairs, of course. Um, but I can enjoy the process of that. That's another story. Um, I'm appreciating you, man. Thank you so, so much for joining us in today's episode. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Apples and Snakes, the podcast. I've been your host, Yomi Shode, and I hope you have enjoyed today's deep dive into the lives of black British poets and creatives. Thank you to our audio producer, Drew Hawley, at The Lab Studios. If you want to find out more about Apples and Snakes, head over to applesandsnakes.org and follow at Apples and Snakes on all social media channels. And remember, if you like what you are hearing, please, please subscribe wherever you would usually listen to your podcast and rate us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.